And I hate when you're like in a personal conversation and they're looking you in the face and you're like thinking, they're looking at that nose hair. They're looking at that nose hair sticking out of my nose. <laughs> and then you start like rubbing your nose and they're probably like, God, is this guy doing cocaine? I keep rubbing his nose. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It Jim, the podcast. Your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek, the original series. We are about to explore the last episode of Season 2, as only the Damage Gym podcast can do. And you might be asking, who are we? Well, my name is Dana Smith, a lifelong Star Trek fan. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, noted beer connoisseur, and Star Trek fan, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, we're we're almost there. Can you believe it? A moment I wasn't sure we'd ever get to. <laughs> yeah. If we're this excited at the end of season two, imagine what it's going to be like at the end of season three. Well, Dan, I think at the end of season three, it's going to be kind of a sad. We will have gone through all the episodes. Yeah, no, it won't be sad, Dana. <laughs> I, I think the thing to do is to start back over at number one again and work our way through them again. In production order. As we should have done from the beginning. From the beginning. <laughs> I, and I told you this, but you were like, oh, no, no, we need to do it how they showed them on television. <laughs> wow, it sounded so much like me. <laughs> so, Dan, it looks like uh, next week is Thanksgiving. Yeah. And you get really busy at that time because you host a lot of people and you do all the cooking and all the drinking and everything. Especially the drinking. I'm going to lay around, watch football and eat a lot mm -hmm. and think about how we can make season three even better. Okay. When you figure that out, let me know because I'm not <laughs> sure. So Dan, last week we talked about uh, the show Bread and Circuses. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss what some of our listeners had to say about that. Our good friend Mark Haley said... One of the things that was really glossed over was the ending of this episode where Uhura says, it's not the sun up in the sky, it's the son of God. That was a great episode until that big spiritual WTF at the end. So our good friend Olivia wrote, there's nothing like getting with a woman while your best friends are waiting in jail. <laughs> mm -hmm. As always, you guys did a great job in this episode. Michael Logue says, I'm 64 years old and have been watching TOS since I was eight. Whenever I see a real attractive woman on Star Trek, I always wait for the credits to see her name and I find out she's passed away. I'm getting old. Does anyone else do this? Uh, Michael, that's why we started the whole uh, podcast was to uh, see if these women were still alive. So... <laughs> As part of our research, Michael, I, I need to give you a little insight here. We do research, but not, not just the women on the show. We research like all the characters. Some of us have researched Julie Newmar more than once. So. <laughs> <laughs> our friend Cindy said, popcorn, you even mentioned Jiffy Pop, and yet no mention of the favorite Jiffy Pop costume. Love you guys. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we and we didn't mention that costume at all last week. Which is fairly amazing for us. Maybe we're maturing, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I, you know, I've got great, great hope that one day we'll both be mature adults. Yeah, when we're dead, be like extra mature. <laughs> Is that what makes a person mature? I think so. Yeah, it's like cheese. You know, when you're dead, you get kind of ripe and the older cheese gets, the riper it gets, I think. I don't really know about cheese. <laughs> Raymond, some f***ing French name. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this a listener? Is this a listener? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Former listener, pretty soon. Uh, Wait, what's it, what, what, how, do you, how do you spell it? I'll pronounce it for you. L-E-F-E-B-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R
V R E. Lefebvre. I think it's exactly right. Lefebvre. Just say it like that. Okay, Raymond Lefebvre. <laughs> <laughs> you tried a little too hard, Dan. A little, a little more subtle this time. Lefebvre. Raymond Lefebvre. <laughs> you got to not pause. You just got to go right into it, Dana. Raymond Lefebvre says. <laughs> I can't because I'm laughing too hard. Our friend Raymond said, fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta say <laughs> okay look you <laughs> you pause and i'll say the last name okay <laughs> we're gonna get this we're gonna do it <laughs> all right here we go here we go you say his first name i'll say the last name and then just go right into it regardless of anything else okay so raymond lefevre <laughs> <laughs> Look, Raymond, we haven't had this much fun for a while. And and not with a we haven't had this much fun, I don't think, with a listener's name ever. Yeah, no, this is a new one for us. Our friend Raymond said fun episode. Have to agree with you there. And finally, William Crawls. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Okay, we spent the last like at least five minutes trying to pronounce this guy's last name, and all he said was fun fucking episode. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh god. All right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Raymond, we love you. Thank thanks for that comment. Do you get any comments? Anybody reach out to us from the from beyond the grave? Not yet. However, I have reached out to some mediums and I'm still waiting to hear. I I have the utmost confidence, Dana, that we're going to get a séance going. Wow. Just in time for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> From YouTube, Tom Bombadil3185 said about the episode, The Ultimate Computer, very entertaining. They make cult TV a culture. Thank you, Tom. Then Michael Hall, I think he's an actor, isn't he? Wasn't he in Breakfast Club and on Saturday Night Live for a while? Michael Anthony Hall? I don't know. I'm just going to, it says Michael Hall on from YouTube. I'm just going to go with the famous guy. Okay. He says, one of my favorite guilty pleasures. In theory, the setup is just one tired Trek trope after another, yet somehow it mostly works. And the take on Empire TV being as close to biting satire as the original series ever got. Dana, we received several phone calls this week. We can't play all of them, but I want to play excerpts from two of them. The first is from a listener in your home state of Colorado, Dana, and here is what she had to say. Anastasia Beaverhausen, Russian royalty and where the beavers live. You're always talking about all the female guest stars that have appeared in pornographic movies. I want to know, have you researched all the gentlemen who appear on the show that have been in pornographic movies? Let us know. Thank you. You know, Dana, that is an interesting question. I did some Google searching and I couldn't come up with anything about any male characters from the original series being in any pornographic films. How about you? I didn't look real hard, but I know that uh, a couple of people were in movies with nudity, but doesn't make them pornos. Anastasia, to answer your question, I think the answer is no, there were none. I agree. The next call comes from Jared in Las Vegas. Here's what he had to say. 
Um, I just want to let you know what a great show you have, and I enjoy listening to it. I clean pools here in Las Vegas, and I'm sure my customers think I'm nuts because they just see me hackling uh, outside in their backyard. My question is, what are you going to do after the original series? Will you go into the uh, next generation or Deep Space Nine? Anyway, I'm looking forward to squeal like a Magatu t-shirt. Thank you. Dana, I love his idea for a t-shirt with squeal like a Mugatu printed on the back of it. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to have the the image of the Mugatu on there as well, because that's just, it's, that would make it. Oh, that would be great. That's a great idea. We'll get started on that for the uh, for season three. So that could be our next project, Dan. I, I love it. Uh, that's all for this week, Dana. Again, thanks uh, for all the messages and phone calls and make sure to keep those coming. This Damn It Gym podcast is sponsored by Photobucket. For a while now, we've been touting Photobucket as a perfect place to store all of your photo and video memories. We know that many of you have pictures and videos from your adventures across the Star Trek universe. We've told you how Photobucket helps keep your memories safe. How Photobucket's compression-free backup cloud storage means your pictures and videos won't lose quality over time. Photobucket gives you one secure place to store your photo and video memories. Photobucket has over 10 billion images. 10 billion, Dana. Think of all the people trusting Photobucket with their most prized memories. Photobucket is easy to use, and right now it's even easier to get started. Use the Dammit Gym promo code when you sign up and get one month of Photobucket free. For a limited time, Photobucket is offering one terabyte of data to store all your Star Trek memories for just $5. Go to photobucket.com today and start saving. Saving your memories. So Dan, it's season two, episode 26, Assignment Earth. We start off by seeing the Enterprise in orbit around a planet that looks a lot like Earth. I'm going to stop you right here, Dana. <laughs> when, when the show started and I saw the planet, I was like, oh, Dan's going to have a field day with this. So go ahead. <laughs> Well, all I want to say is there's no clouds. It was a clear day. Everywhere, like on the <laughs> entire planet. Anyway, that's all I had to say about the opening. <laughs> so we start off with the captain's log where Kirk states, using the light speed breakaway factor, the Enterprise has moved back through time to the 20th century. We are now in extended orbit around Earth. Using the ship's deflector shields to remain unobserved, our mission, historical research. We are monitoring Earth communications to find out how our planet survived desperate problems in the year 1968. Okay, hold on a second now. <laughs> so this is not by accident. They've gone back in the past before by accident, or somebody sent them back into the past. Yep. But this is now some kind of technology that they've had for two seasons, and it's the first time we hear about it. But the, the main problem I have with this, Dana, is Kirk can't even be trusted with the prime directive. H how are they going to trust this guy with time travel? <laughs> well, I'd like to know what the light speed breakaway factor is. It just seems like a gobbledygook of words <laughs> thrown together. They're trying to think of ways to incorporate modern day into the show. And so they come up with this, you know, we're monitoring 1968 because of the desperate problems that happened in that era. 1968 was a year of upheaval. And this show was recorded before a lot of that stuff happened. So they became kind of 
soothsayers, as it were. So you're right, Dana. This episode was filmed the first week of 1968, several months before a lot of the upheaval happened. Assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in 68. The real kind of uptick in American deaths in Vietnam, the protests really starting to ramp up in 1968. So you're absolutely right. They were kind of soothsayers. I like that. So moving ahead, just as Kirk finishes the log entry, the Enterprise is suddenly rocked and Spock reports that they appear to have intercepted someone's transporter beam. So they run to the transporter room. Spock goes over to a different panel that's kind of in the background and he gets looks into a viewer and says the transporter beam originates more than in a thousand light years away. That's a hell of a viewer he's got. And even Scotty's like, I don't know what you're talking about there, Mr. Scott. Mr. Spock, <laughs> I'm so drunk as a Scotsman, I don't even know what your name is. Are you, laddie? <laughs> That's pretty good, don't you think? Yeah, it's Blackbeard or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> especially the I laddie at the end. <laughs> the transporter starts working and we see a form starting to appear. The form becomes a man in a dark suit and he's holding a black cat with a sparkly necklace around his neck. Yeah. So the man steps off the transporter and asks why he has been intercepted. Kirk introduces himself and the man talks to the cat as if it had just spoken to him. Then the stranger asks, where did they come from? And Kirk says, Earth. And the man says, that's impossible. Then he sees Spock and he says, you're from the future, Captain. Wow, that guy uh, picked up on that quick, didn't he? So obviously this guy has knowledge beyond the 20th century. If he knows what Vulcans are, he's, he's been around. And if he's being transported someplace. Yeah. The man says his name is Gary Seven and he is from the 20th century. The security guards come in. Kirk orders phasers set to stun. He says he has an important mission on Earth. He says if he doesn't complete his mission, it'll change history. Probably destroy Earth and you as well, he says to Kirk. Spock notes that this creates quite the dilemma. Gary Seven says that this is the most critical period in Earth's history. He says the planet I'm from wants Earth to survive. So Kirk seems unsure. And he orders the man confined. As the guards lead the man towards the door, he suddenly pushes the, the guards off. Spock tries the Vulcan nerve pinch, but Seven is able to break away and he knocks Spock back. The cat jumps on one of the guards and the, the guard is like pinned to the transporter pad with his cat on top of it. And he looks terrible. Yeah, I would be, yeah. <laughs> Scotty and Kirk are knocked down, and then Kirk grabs a phaser and stuns the guy. Next thing we see is Spock and Kirk in a conference room. Spock has the cat on his lap, and he's petting it. Spock comments that the cat is quite a lovely animal, and he finds himself strangely drawn to it. Spock says, current Earth crisis would fill a tape blank, Captain. There will be an important assassination today, an equally dangerous government coup in Asia. And this could be highly critical. The launching of an orbital nuclear warhead platform by the United States, countering a similar launch by other powers. So, Dana, you said earlier that they were kind of soothsayers in this episode, right? Some of the stuff that they talk about in the episode actually came true. But I don't think we ever had nuclear weapons in space, like a orbiting nuclear weapons platform that I know about. Yeah, not that we know of, Dan. I think there was a fear at that time we were going to be putting nukes into space for such a thing. Yeah. So we go to sickbay and McCoy is making notes when Kirk calls him. Kirk asks uh, for McCoy to join him in the briefing room. So then we cut to uh, Gary Seven in his cell. He moves towards the opening and realizes it's a force field. Then he pulls out a pen-like object from his coat. No reason they should have searched him for weapons or anything like that, right? 
I know, Dana. <laughs> it's it, why does this guy even have this in his pocket? Yeah, and they took his cat. They did. I forgot about that. They did take the cat. Yeah. So he adjusted the pen and two little like antennae pop out of it. Yeah, it was kind of a cool effect, I thought. Yeah. Then he aims it at the doorway and it knocks the force field out. When the guard turns toward him with phaser ready, he points the pen at the guard and we hear a sound. And then the guard suddenly looks like he's stoned or, you know, really drunk. And Seven walks out of the cell and says, you're tired. Go to sleep. And the guard just kind of slumps to the floor with a big smile on his face. So in the conference room, McCoy reports that Gary Seven has human readings, but there are no flaws. Totally perfect body. No, again, <laughs> never heard this. You know, give him some flaw. Like, you know, he's he's got a mole on his back the size of Ohio or something. You know, it's just, it's yeah. something. I mean, he's got like halitosis, you know, I don't know, but just something bad. Toe jam. Oh yeah, there you go. So the cat jumps down from Spock's lap and goes out the door. I didn't know that the door is operated for cats. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So the cat runs out of the room. Don't you think they'd be like, hey, maybe we should follow that cat? Yeah, because the cat is tied to Gary Seven. They didn't let him in the cell with him, so there must be some reason why they kept the cat. Yeah. Instead of just giving it to the cook. You know, just <laughs> <laughs> See what you can do with this. <laughs> Just then they hear a security alert. The prisoner has escaped. Uhura reports that the transporter room is being used. Someone is trying to beam down. Kirk orders an override and he runs out of the room. In the transporter room, we see two men unconscious with smiles on their faces. So we know Gary Seven's been there. Yeah, and their pants are down. <laughs> The cat comes in and Seven picks up the cat and says, I know Isis, we'll be gone before they get here. So uh, Gary Seven gets on the transporter pad and transports away. Wait, wait, hold on. So someone else knows how to use the transporter, Dana? <laughs> So next we see a city skyline, uh, looks like New York City. We move into an office area and a panel opens in a wall revealing a big large safe. The safe opens and there's like a cloud formation in, inside. And then Gary Seven walks out holding the cat. And he sets the cat down and walks to another wall with a bookcase. And he says, computer on. And a large computer screen comes out of the wall. And the computer talks to him with a very high-pitched kind of shrill voice. Uh, so the computer asks him to identify himself. And he says, you'll find me listed as Supervisor 194, codename Gary Seven. So Seven says, computer, I am a Class 1 Supervisor. You are ordered to override previous instructions and answer my questions. Computer says, I am Beta five computer of capable of analytical decisions. Please confirm identity as supervisor by describing nature of agents and mission here. And he says, agents are male and female descendants of human ancestors taken from Earth approximately 6,000 years ago. Ooh. They're the product of generations of training for this mission. Problem. Earth technology and science have progressed faster than political and social knowledge. Purpose of mission to prevent Earth's civilization from destroying itself before it can mature into a peaceful society. Uh. Yeah, like that's ever going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Back on the Enterprise, Scotty reports that they can estimate within a thousand meters or so where Gary 7 beamed down. Well, hold on. Why don't they just look at the transport and see where it was set to? <laughs> So Spock says there is great risk in beaming down if they do anything that might change history. Kirk says he knows, but he has to be sure Seven wasn't lying to them. He orders Spock to go to his ship's stores and have them prepare proper costumes. Oh, right. We get 
get the uh, ship stores going again. Get that sweatshop going. I want to write a series, a Star Trek series about ship stores. You know, these people working in there and like, oh, where are they going this time? Well, we'll never see that planet. Yeah, all we see is darkness in here and cloth. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, an old man, and old woman, just like, yeah, all I ever see is your stupid face. You know, it's just be, just be a lot of fun. Cigarettes hanging out of their mouths, right, Dana? I oh, mean, yeah. Kirk gets the new clothes. He's like, man, these smells like, what is that smell? <laughs> Computer, tell me what that smell is. That is a smell from the 20th century from nicotine. In Seven's office, the computer reports and responds to nuclear warhead placed in suborbit by other major power. United States today launching suborbital platform with multi-warhead capacity. Mission of Agents 201 and 347 set malfunction on United States rocket. Seven says progress of mission has the rocket been set to malfunction. The computer reports no progress progress has been made then says there's only one hour and 27 minutes before launch okay so we get the countdown we get a ticking clock again so seven says computer record the following unless agents are found immediately i must undertake their mission dan i got a question yeah he said that he had to take part in this mission to keep earth from blowing itself up he never mentioned he had other people working for him you know it sounded like he was the dude yeah like how why would he even go to earth if he already thinks other people are taking care of the job he's a supervisor dan so he's following up on his people oh he's just watching them we see kirk and spock on the streets of the city kirk has an overcoat as does spock and spock is wearing a cap that covers his ears the people in the stores of the enterprise who are doing the sewing they weren't even trying this week dana <laughs> i mean those overcoats look like these guys were about to go flashing people <laughs> and the cap that spock is wearing come on same old same old so kirk calls a scotty and he asks uh where they're supposed to go to get to gary seven and, and scotty gives them directions so they can't beam them to the exact spot yeah but Scotty knows where the guy is? <laughs> I don't get it. Next thing we see is a blonde woman kind of hurrying down the sidewalk. She's in an orange and pink outfit. Meanwhile, uh, Gary Seven creates documents and their IDs stating that he's, one says a police officer, another says he's a NASA officer, and the final one says he's a CIA agent. Uh, so then the woman comes into the adjoining room and prepares to start her day, and she refers to herself as Roberta. Gary Seven comes into the office and starts asking her where she's been and she doesn't recognize him where's 347 with 348 201 code responses are not necessary obviously he thinks that she is one of the agents he demands that she write up a report on what she has been doing for the last three earth days she goes to type and he says no not like that and he hits a button on the side of the typewriter and when she speaks it starts typing out everything she is saying and she gets a little freaked out and goes to leave saying she's quit and he realizes she's not really one of his agents so she goes to leave and he locks the door by using his fancy pen so he asks the computer to identify her and the computer says roberta lincoln human profession secretary employed by 347 and 201 description Age 20, 5 feet 7 inches, 120 pounds, hair presently tinted, honey blonde. Although behavior appears erratic, possesses high IQ. So Gary Seven seems perplexed, and he asks what her employers told her they were doing, and she says, research for a new encyclopedia. Then she realizes that's not what's going on. He says she can go, but then...
then says, unless you don't care about your country. And she stops and he shows her the CIA badge. So she's agreed to stay at this point. Essentially. So we see Kirk and Spock on the street stop to check in with Scotty again. Scotty reports they are in the right location, just 30 meters higher. So Kirk and Spock enter the building. So back in Gary Seven's office, the computer reports that the other agents were killed on Highway 949. I looked it up. There are highways with the number 949 in Texas and Kentucky, but I believe they're supposed to be in New York City. Yeah, but where's the launch site? It's McKinley, and they get to it pretty quickly, so I'm assuming it's just outside of New York City. Well, how do they get to it? Does he beam over or does he drive? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these other two might have been like on a road trip going to, you know, going to the launch site. You would think it can't be in New York City, right? There's no way. Or, or even close to New York City. They, they, you got to be like way out in the middle of freaking nowhere. Maybe it's Texas. I would I would go with Texas. They're probably in Texas. Okay. You know, they got, they got in the car. They got in the old Lincoln Continental, the suicide doors, and they went on a road trip. The suicide doors. Those are cool cars. Yeah. Seven says, it doesn't make sense. It's the one smart thing he said all episode. It doesn't make sense. To die in something as useless as an automobile accident. I think that's like a little PSA announcement there. Dana, we've said many times people should not listen to this podcast while driving. (laughs) 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 We see Kirk and Spock get off an elevator. They get further directions from Scotty as they're going down the hall. They come up on door 12B. So they ring the doorbell. And when Roberta answers, Kirk and Spock demand to know where Gary Seven is. They go into the office and she tells them to leave. When they don't leave, she tries to call the police and Kirk stops her by pulling her away from the phone. We see Gary Seven in the office going into the safe with the cat in hand. Kirk uses his phaser to open the locked door just as Roberta pulls off Spock's cap and she turns to see him. And she's obviously shocked because he has pointed ears. Sure. Kirk goes in the office, but Seven isn't there. Next thing we see is uh, there's like these two large metal doors with a sign on it that reads, Warning, Liquid Hydrogen. The door is open and Gary Seven walks out. Some people walk past him with short sleeve shirts. He walks out of these doors holding the cat. No one pays any attention to him. You know, people are allowed to bring their cats to work. And that was a big thing in 1968. (laughs) But he's on a launch site. I mean, he's on a launch site, Dana. As he's uh, walking along, there's an announcement that the launch is T minus 60 minutes. Mm. We go back to Seven's office and Kirk finds a diagram. He goes back out into the front office area where Roberta and Spock are. And Kirk asks where Seven is. And she says, I already called the police. And Kirk holds up the plans he found and says, plans for McKinley rocket base. Kirk found the plans, so let me ask you, what plans do you have to back up your photos and videos? If you have the PhotoBucket app, your photos and videos will automatically be backed up for you. That's right. The app works to secure every photo and video you take and syncs it all to your desktop, tablet, and other devices. No more having to worry about your phone's memory being full. PhotoBucket takes care of that for you, so you never have to worry if you'll have enough space on your phone to take pictures at the next Star Trek convention. All photo apps are not created equal. PhotoBucket wants to make the process of saving your images as simple as possible. Whether your phone is Android or iOS, the app will make saving your pictures work like magic. With the option to have one terabyte of storage to back up your pictures. It's a logical choice, Dan. Sign up today. Go to photobucket.com and see all the exciting features that will help you preserve your precious memories. Dana, can Kirk and Spock get out of the office and save the day? 
Next thing we see is two uniformed cops get off the elevator. The cops go to the office door and ring the bell. Inside the office, Roberta yells for help. Kirk and Spock call up to Scotty and run into Seven's other office. The cops come through the main door and catch up to Kirk and Spock just as they are beamed up. And the cops get beamed up too. Uh-oh, there goes the prime directive. <laughs> I don't know if you realize, Dan, but one of the cops was Finnegan. Oh, you're right. Yes. So in the transporter room, when they beam up to the ship, Kirk and Spock run off the transporter pads and Kirk orders reverse and energize. And before the cops can blink, they get beamed back to the office. And we see Roberta's face as the officers materialize back in Gary Seven's office. But I'm just assuming, you know, they're going to say, got to stop drinking at lunchtime or something, you know I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something, because how else would they explain that? Yeah. Back at McKinley, we see mission control area and a bunch of guys looking pensive like they haven't had a good shit in a week. (laughs) Well, just think of all the coffee they're drinking, Dana. Oh, I bet you the bathrooms are a disaster. Oh, (laughs) and they're probably smoking in the bathrooms too. Oh, yeah. Back outside, Seven is standing by a car and security guard stops him and asks for ID. Seven shows him the ID, then the guard says he needs to check on it. The guard tells him to set the cat down. And so he does. <laughs> Why? Why? Why set the cat down? <laughs> that might be a weapon. <laughs> so as the guard is calling, Seven says, careful, Isis, don't get stepped on. And when the guard looks down, Seven quickly grabs his pen and zaps the guard. And he looks completely dazed. He then takes the guard over to a wall and sits him down for a nap. And Seven walks back over to the car and he stands behind it for a second, kind of looking at it. And then we go into the control room. And one of the guys walks out saying he's heading for the gantry. Outside, we see the guy get in the car that Seven had been standing by. He drives away. On the Enterprise, Scotty says he is bouncing off an old old-style weather satellite to get some good views. Really? 23rd century technology and you got to bounce off of an old-style weather satellite? So the image on the screen becomes clear and we see the rocket that is ready to launch. Scotty says, if I could see him, I could beam him up. And Kirk says, the launch is in 45 minutes. Stand by to beam us down. So we see a bunch of pictures of the mission control area, all taken from like old NASA stuff. And then uh, we see the car driving toward the rocket. The launch director gets out of the car and meets a couple of security guards. They go toward the rocket as Gary Seven and Isis get out of the trunk. Oh, that's where they were hiding. Okay. A minute later, the launch director returns with one of the guards. The other guard calls to his partner and says, lock the elevator at the top and let's get out of here. So we watch the elevator ascend and see Gary Seven is on the elevator as it continues to climb. And of course, he has Isis with him. Kirk and Spock beam down just as the guard wakes up that Seven had knocked out before, and the guard comes out from behind a car and tells them both to freeze. Okay, now, now Dana, they are dressed in different clothes this time. So apparently they went back to the sweatshop and said, okay, those trench coats you gave us? No, not, not going to work. We're apparently in a hotter climate. And did you notice the hat that Spock was wearing this time? Yeah, I mean, it looked like he was going to go on a cruise. Yeah, or go fishing. Something near the water. It barely covers his ears. Exactly. Uh, we go to Gary Seven's office where Roberta 
sits on the desk and hits something on and the wall opens up where the safe is. Oh, she kind of knocks over one of the pens in the holder. So back at McKinley, we see Gary Seven crawling across some framework to get to the rocket. The cat walks over his back and meows and he says, yes, I know how to open it. So he gets his handy dandy pen out and points it at the rocket. A panel opens up and he reaches in and starts grabbing at wires. Yeah, I mean, he really knows apparently how that thing is all wired together. Well, maybe the cat's giving him directions, like on what, what wires he should be pulling and stuff. Why not just stuff the cat in there and close the door, call it good? It's scratching <laughs> like hell to get out. It's bound to cut the wire it needs to cut, right? Oh, man, the noise that cat would make. In the control room, we see two communicators and two small phasers. The guard asks Kirk and Spock to identify themselves, telling him that it's their only chance. It just seems stupid to me that they're standing in the control room. <laughs> And the one guard's got his gun out pointed at him. Yeah, don't they have like a more secure place to hold these guys? We see Scotty on the Enterprise watching the images of the rocket. He sees something and he zooms in and he sees Gary Seven. We see Scotty working the controls of the transporter. Uh, so just as Seven is beaming onto the Enterprise, Roberta in Seven's office starts fiddling with knobs. And uh, we see Seven disappear from the Enterprise. And Seven shows up in the vault. He goes to his computer and he pulls up the image of the rocket. So she just like accidentally hits the right combination to beam him back to his office. Yep. I bet you she could operate the transporter on the Enterprise. The cat could do it. Oh, I'm sure the cat could do it. There's no question. Yeah. The countdown is now down to 20 seconds. We cut back and forth between Mission Control, Gary Seven, and Kirk and Spock. The rocket takes off. They report everything is going as planned. We go back to Seven's office. Seven asks the computer if he can still affect the rocket. Computer says, rocket control possible with x circuits operated manually. <laughs> They're just <laughs> making up words now. <laughs> <laughs> Seven says, uh, Xceiver on manual, lock into flight telemetry. Roberta backs away and picks up a telephone. Isis meows a warning, and Seven uses his pen to sever the cord of the phone. Like she was going to call the police again? Is that what was happening? I, I don't know if the police would have wanted to come back. Well, especially those two guys. They'd be like, mm, no, 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 we're back at the bar. We're not even... I was just going to say, they're sitting at a bar right now. Seven says, begin malfunction of third stage, take it off course. Seven tells the computer to arm the warhead. Uh-oh. Oh, that's not good. Roberta looks around and she sees like this, I'm, I'm guessing it was like a cigarette box. Yeah, it was like a big silver kind of box, yeah. Roberta hits Seven on the back of the head with the cigarette box. Ouch, it looked real. Yeah, and as he drops, she tells him she does care about her country. And Seven says he has to stop the rocket or World War III will break out. At Mission Control, they report that the auto-destruct has failed. Scotty calls and tries to speak to Kirk. The guard is standing next to the communicator and picks it up and says hello. Spock steps forward and says, let me help you. And he does a Vulcan nerve pitch and, on the guard, and the guard just drops. Kirk takes the communicator and says, beam us directly to Gary Seven's office. They get transported out as the overhead voice says, no response on the destruct signal. Destruct is not working. Descending and armed. She'll go off on impact. Back in Seven's office, he is still trying to convince Roberta he's doing the right thing. He says, Roberta, you've got to believe me. I want to believe you. I, I do. I mean, I know this world needs help. That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels, you know? We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. 
you know, that was something people were growing up with, Dan, and the uh, from the time the nuclear bombs were created. So Kirk and Spock enter Gary Seven's office. Spock goes to try to figure out the computer. Seven says he needs to destruct the rocket at least 100 miles above ground, just barely in time to frighten them out of this arms race. Spock says he needs more time to figure out the computer. Kirk says, Spock, if you can't figure it out, I'll have to trust him. Spock says, Without facts, the decision cannot be made logically. You must rely on your human intuition. Well, he's never said that before, right? In fact, he's probably said exactly the opposite. Computer says 30 seconds. Kirk allows seven access to the computer. He works as it counts down miles. Then the rocket destructs at 104 miles above Earth. Later, we see Gary Seven dictating his report into the typewriter. Seven says, And in spite of the accidental interference with history by the Earth ship from the future, the mission was completed. We see Spock and Kirk stand there in their Starfleet uniforms. Spock says, Correction, Mr. Seven. It appears we did not interfere. The Enterprise was part of what was supposed to happen on this day in 1968. Wait, were they just standing there the whole time? I think they were just standing there hanging out, watching him speak to his typewriter. Okay. So, so let me get the order of things. They're successful in destroying the rocket. They beam back up to the ship to change clothes, and then they beam back down <laughs> to listen to him talk to his typewriter. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's hours later. Yeah, but why? I mean, why even come back? There's no. <laughs> this sense. Yeah, why go change? Why? Yeah. Why come back? That's my point. Yeah. On the couch, we see Isis, the cat, has transformed from a black cat to a dark-haired woman in a black outfit. And amazingly, only Roberta notices. I mean, I was surprised Kirk didn't notice. Kirk says, our record tapes show that, uh, although not generally revealed, that on this date, a malfunctioning suborbital warhead was exploded exactly 104 miles above the Earth. Seven says, so everything happened the way it was supposed to. And Spock says, and you'll be pleased, our records show that it resulted in a new and stronger international agreement against the use of such weapons. Roberta studies the woman, then walks over to Seven and says, who is that? Seven looks over and says, that is my cat. And we see that the cat has returned. The woman is no longer there. Seven turns his attention back to Kirk and Spock says, what else do your record tape show? I'm afraid we can't reveal everything we know, Mr. Seven. Captain, we could say that Mr. Seven and Miss Lincoln have some interesting experiences in store for them. Yes, I think we could say that. Live long and prosper, Mr. Seven. The same to you, Miss Lincoln. And that's how the show ends, Dan. So, Dana, you have some interesting information to share with us about this episode. Dan, that typewriter that uh, they spoke into and typed out the words? Yeah. It was the Royal Emperor. It was a real typewriter, which could type from a cassette tape recording of the text. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I thought it was, you know, something that they made up, but it was a real typewriter. Wow. I didn't know that either. So, Dan, this was not known for a long time, but uh, April Tetro played the human form of Isis the cat. Oh. She was known as a contortionist and actress. Probably why Roddenberry hired her, no doubt. She was, uh, amazingly enough, uncredited in the show. She appeared in several TV shows from the 70s through the 90s and even shows up in Big Top Pee Wee. She's still alive at age 81. We need to get her on the show. I want to I see what a contortionist can do at 81 years old. Can you imagine? She does something and then just like gets stuck <laughs> and we hear cracking bones. I'm like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> That's not going to be good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you mentioned she was in Big Top Pee Wee. She played the human pretzel in that movie. Are you serious? 
Yeah, yeah. What if they put any mustard on that pretzel? So Robert Lansing, who played Gary Seven, he was in a couple of TV series that he actually starred in, most notably 12 O'Clock High. And he had guest spots in shows like Bonanza and The Mod Squad, Gunsmoke. And he later showed up in Simon and Simon, Murder, She Wrote. In the 80s, he was part of the show The Equalizer, which ran for four years. He shows up in a couple of movies, but always seemed to be in a supporting role. His last role was in Kung Fu, The Legend continues, but he died of cancer after the first season. Dan, do you have anything you want to add? Anything interesting that people would give a fuck about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Terry Garr, she played Roberta Lincoln. Terry was in... Terry, good friend of mine, Terry. So Terry Garr, she played Roberta Lincoln. She was in a lot of films, Dana. In fact, even received an Academy Award nomination for one of her films. I can't remember the name at this point. That's why she didn't win, apparently. She was really upset with Gene Roddenberry because he wanted her skirt made shorter than the original costume called for. So he saw her wearing the skirt and he was like, no, it's got to be shorter. Terry Garr was really upset and walked off the set. Came back, finished the episode, but the skirt, if you look at it in the episode, looks really weird. Like they they even, they made it even shorter, but because they did that, it's got weird along the hemline. It's just very odd looking if you, if you look closely at it. It's kind of uneven. Yeah, really uneven. Yeah. After that, in interviews, she always refused to talk about Star Trek in any way. She said how much she hated science fiction. It was a stupid genre. I mean, this really turned her off. Never went to any conventions, never did any of that kind of stuff. Wow. She also was in nine Elvis movies as a background dancer. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, nine. Unfortunately, Dana, uh, Terry Garr has MS, multiple sclerosis. She is still alive, but suffers with that debilitating disease daily. The movie that you were looking for, Dan, that uh, Terry Garr received an Academy Award nomination for was for Tootsie. And she was also in one of my all-time favorite movies, Young Frankenstein. Oh, of course. Yeah. Dana, what about a theme or dilemma for this episode? Dan, once again, we're dealing with the uh, prime directive. So that is kind of a overshadowing role here. Once again, basically what it comes down to is how, how does Kirk deal with Gary Seven and making sure that they don't affect anything on Earth and keep from breaking the prime directive, which could have catastrophic consequences to their own lives. So Dan, what about you? Do you have a theme or dilemma you want to throw out there? Dana, what happens when time travel becomes a reality? You know, a lot of science fiction eventually becomes true. Theoretically, time travel is possible. So the question is, if it will become a reality in the future, it could mean that time travelers are here now, like tourists from the future. How would we even know? That's a dilemma, Dana. It's a huge dilemma. Wow. Now I'm just... Just like not gonna be able to sleep tonight thinking about that. Dana, how about a best part for this episode? Dan, Gary Seven is a cool character. I wanted to know more about him. I wanted to see the planet he came from, who sent him, just find out what his next mission was going to be. I thought he was great. How about you? Do you have a best part for this show? Kind of related, but the interaction between Gary Seven and the cat, I I thought that was kind of cool, just how they actually acted together. And I wanted to know more, not so much about Gary Seven, but who trained that cat? That was pretty well-trained cat, Dana. And I know firsthand cats do not train easily. Have you tried that at your house? I was just trying to get my uh, one cat to shake hands. How'd that turn out? Well, I would give him a treat and I'd lift his paw and shake it. He was like, every time I held out a treat, he would just kind of look at me and he'd wait for me to pick up his paw. (laughs) Cats aren't stupid, Dana. He was like, look, I've trained my owner to to bring me a treat and I I just got to stand here and let him take my paw. (laughs) Yep. 
That's it. That's what cats are about. How about another best part for you? Roberta, Terry Garr brought a nice bit of humor to the show. Some comic relief that I wasn't expecting. Do you have another uh, best part, Dan? Time travel. I know I've mentioned this before in other episodes. I love this concept in science fiction and can't wait till it becomes real. Or, or maybe it already is. I, I don't I don't know. How about a worst part, Dana? Uh, we, we did discuss this, but uh, how Roberta accidentally pulls Seven off the Enterprise by aimlessly fooling around with the dials on his transporter. How about you? You got a worst part? Well, we never learn about Gary Seven's companion. Like, what is her backstory? Why is she a cat? I mean, we just don't get enough of that. How about another worst part for you? How Kirk and Spock are held in the control room of the launch center. And, you know, when they've been taken to a jail or have the police called, the FBI, somebody. How about you? Do you got another worse one? The hat that Spock wears when they beam him down to the launch site, which is that kind of fishing cap you're talking about, or cruise cap. Where is that hat, Dana? How come that's not up for auction? Dan, did you want to talk at all about uh, what this episode was uh, originally intended for? So yeah, Dana, Gene Ronberry was heavily involved in this episode, not only as a writer, but as one of the producers of the episode, because he was worried that Star Trek was going to get canceled by the network after the second season, and he wanted to write a pilot for a new series he was hoping would get picked up. And so he came up with this idea of doing kind of a spin-off of Star Trek with Gary Seven, Roberta Lincoln, and the Train Cat, and have this new kind of sci-fi show. It never did get picked up by the network. I don't know why it wasn't picked up, but this was actually a spin-off concept that he had. Yeah, apparently he came up with this idea before it was picked up for the uh, original run. And uh, it had been turned down by the studio bosses then. And so he thought this was a way to bring it back and maybe kind of give it a push start. I kind of wish the series had happened, but it was interesting that, you know, wow, one series is going to end, so I'll just create another series and put it right into the existing one and uh, see if I can't get that out there. So Dana, what happened on this date in history? Well, Dan, the number one song in the U.S. was still Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. Mm -hmm. Great song. And in the UK, your favorite band of Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch (laughs) were unseated by the Beatles song, Lady Madonna. Oh, thank God, Dana. (laughs) Finally a Beatles song, and I'm glad that song only lasted one freaking week. So not a whole lot happened on March 29th, but uh, Lucy Lawless was born uh, in New Zealand. She played Xena, the warrior princess. Oh. The day before on March 28th, Dan, a protest march by striking sanitation workers marched down Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee, began peacefully with Martin Luther King Jr. and Ralph Abernathy at the forefront of the 6,000 African Americans, but degenerated into violence and looting and the shooting by police of a 16-year-old boy. Very important note, April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. Horrible, horrible, Dana. 1968 was indeed a horrible year. The Enterprise was able to travel back in time. Unfortunately, for most of us, we can't rewrite the past. We can't go back and find pictures that were lost due to a hard drive crash. Don't wait for the 23rd century to save your important photos. The future is here now. Photobucket is the photo-saving tool everyone has been looking for. With Photobucket, you can easily upload, store, and organize all your Star Trek memories in one secure place. Share your amazing convention moments, cosplay triumphs, and even those hilarious behind-the-scene bloopers with fellow fans 
fans around the galaxy. But that's not all. Photobucket goes beyond just photos. You can create stunning Star Trek-themed albums, add captions and tags, and even create personalized slideshows that will make Captain Kirk himself Orion Green with envy. And here's the best part. Photobucket integrates seamlessly with all your favorite social media platforms. So beam yourself up to Photobucket today and start preserving and sharing your Star Trek memories like never before. Visit photobucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities. So Dana, this week for the counts, nothing has changed. Is that correct? Nothing, Dan. For today, what we're going to do is read the tallies. And this is the totals now for the entirety of season one and season two, correct? That sounds like plan, Dan. All right, let's jump in. How about the dead crewman count? 47. So we're 55 episodes in. That's almost one per episode. Yeah, that's pretty good. How about the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? 17, Dan. Hopefully we'll get more next season, Dana. The he's dead count? 14. I thought it would be more. I did too. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Only eight. Yeah, I, Dana, I hope next season we get more of those. I'm thinking like two an episode. (laughs) Can you imagine if it's two an episode? (laughs) They'd finally be like, okay, we get it. You're a doctor. We get it. The Supreme Being count. 10. That surprises me, but in the opposite direction. Like, that's more than I thought there would have been. Dana, violation of the Prime Directive count. Only been violated nine times so far, Dan. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Seems like more. (laughs) I think we're going to get a lot more in the next season. I hope so. And then finally, taking over of the Enterprise. We're at 10. I'm surprised Gary 7 didn't take over the Enterprise, quite honestly. Oh, good point. I mean, he did take over the transporter, but not the entire ship, so. Even this cat could have taken over the transporter, so. True. All right, Dana. Wow. We finished two seasons, Dana. Can you believe it? It's been fun so far. Can't wait to uh, get into the third season, Dan. So, Dana, what do we have for next week? Happy Thanksgiving, if you're in the U.S., <laughs> that's what we've got yeah oh i'm looking forward to it i love thanksgiving dana i love the eating and relaxing and watching football and then when we're back on december 1st uh, we'll do a special episode to kind of kick off things for before we dive into the third season yeah we may even have a seance happening i don't know that would be interesting If our listeners have anybody they want to reach out to, uh, let us know. At the end of every episode in the third season, we could bring in the the medium on and ask her to talk to one of the people that's died in the episode. Oh, God, that would be a great idea. Yeah, I think every time. That'd be great. Like five minutes of talking to the dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I feel like sometimes over here on this side, but... You're like, I've been talking to the dead for three freaking hours tonight, and (laughs) I still feel like I haven't gotten anywhere. (laughs) You have a great Thanksgiving. I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we look forward to seeing everyone again on December 1st. For everybody that wrote in and called in, we always appreciate it. Great to hear from our listeners, and thanks for all the support. We look forward to doing season three soon. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving next week. Make sure to join Dan and Dana in two weeks for a very special episode previewing season three. Enjoy the rest of your week. And until we see you again, remember to live long and prosper.
This has been a Ramble Jar production.